Chapter 21 of Struggles and Triumphs, or Forty Years' Recollections of P.T. Barnum, written by himself. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. Struggles and Triumphs of P.T. Barnum, Chapter 21 jenny lind according to agreement the magnolia waited for us at natchez and memphis and we gave profitable concerts at both places the concert at memphis was the sixtieth in the list since miss lind's arrival in america and the first concert in st louis would be the sixty-first when we reached that city on the morning of the day when our first concert was to be given miss lind's secretary came to me commissioned he said by her and announced that as sixty concerts had already taken place she proposed to avail herself of one of the conditions of our contract and cancel the engagement next morning as this was the first intimation of the kind i had received i was somewhat startled though i assumed an entirely placid demeanor and asked does miss lynn authorize you to give me this notice i so understand it was the reply I immediately reflected that if our contract was thus suddenly cancelled, Miss Lynde was bound to repay to me all I had paid her over the stipulated $1,000 for each concert, and a little calculation showed that the sum thus to be paid back was $77,000, since she had already received from me $137,000 for 60 concerts. In this view, I could not but think that this was a ruse of some of her advisers, and, possibly, that she might know nothing of the matter. So I told her secretary that I would see him again in an hour, and meanwhile I went to my old friend, Mr. Saul Smith, for his legal and friendly advice. I showed him my contract and told him how much I had been annoyed by the selfish and greedy hangers-on and advisers, legal and otherwise, of Jenny Lind. I talked to him about the wheels within wheels which moved this great musical enterprise, and asked and gladly accepted his advice, which mainly coincided with my own views of the situation. I then went back to the secretary and quietly told him that I was ready to settle with Miss Lynde and to close the engagement. But, said he, manifestly taken aback, you have already advertised concerts in Louisville and Cincinnati, I believe yes i replied but you may take my contracts for halls and printing off my hands at cost i further said that he was welcome to the assistance of my agent who had made these arrangements and moreover that i would cheerfully give my own services to help them through with these concerts thus giving them a good start on their own hook my liberality which he acknowledged emboldened him to make an extraordinary proposition now suppose, he asked, Miss Lynn should wish to give some fifty concerts in this country, what would you charge as manager per concert? A million dollars each, not one cent less, I replied. I was now thoroughly aroused. The whole thing was as clear as daylight, and I continued. Now we might as well understand each other. I don't believe Miss Lynn has authorized you to propose to me to cancel our contract, but if she has, just bring me a line to that effect over her signature, and her check for the amount due me by the terms of that contract, some seventy-seven thousand dollars, 
and we will close our business connections at once. But why not make a new arrangement, persisted the secretary, for fifty concerts more, by which Miss Lynn shall pay you liberally, say, one thousand dollars per concert? Simply because I hired Miss Lynde, and not she me, I replied, and because I never ought to take a farthing less for my risk and trouble than the contract gives me. I have voluntarily paid Miss Lynde more than twice as much as I originally contracted to pay her, or as she expected to receive when she first engaged with me. Now, if she is not satisfied, I wish to settle instantly and finally. If you do not bring me her decision today, I shall go to her for it tomorrow morning. I met the secretary soon after breakfast next morning, and asked him if he had a written communication for me from Miss Lynde. He said he had not, and that the whole thing was a joke. He merely wanted, he added, to see what I would say to the proposition. I asked him if Miss Lynde was in the joke, as he called it. He hoped I would not inquire, but would let the matter drop. I went on, as usual, and gave four more concerts in St. Louis, and followed out my program as arranged in other cities for many weeks following, nor at that time, nor at any time afterwards, did Miss Lynde give me the slightest intimation that she had any knowledge of the proposition of her secretary to cancel our agreement or to employ me as her manager. During our stay at St. Louis, I delivered a temperance lecture in the theater, and at the close, among other signers of the pledge, was my friend and adviser, Sol Smith. Uncle Sol, as everyone called him, was a famous character in his time. He was an excellent comedian, an author, a manager, and a lawyer. For a considerable period of his life, he was largely concerned in theatricals in St. Louis, New Orleans, and other cities, and acquired a handsome property. He died at a ripe old age in 1869, respected and lamented by all who knew him. I esteem it an honor to have been one of his intimate friends. A year or two before he died, he published a very interesting volume, giving a full account of the leading incidents in his long and varied career as an actor and manager. He had previously, in 1854, published an autobiographical work comprising an account of the second seven years of his professional life, together with sketches of adventure in after years, and entitled The Theatrical Journey, Work and Anecdotal Recollections of Sol Smith, Comedian, Attorney at Law, etc. This unique work was preceded by a dedication which I ventured to copy. It was as follows. To Phineas T. Barnum, Proprietor of the American Museum, etc., Great Empresario, whilst you were engaged in your grand Jenny Lynn speculation, the following conundrum went the rounds of the American newspapers. Why is it that Jenny Lynn and Barnum will never fall out? Answer, because he is always forgetting, and she is always forgiving. I have never asked you the question directly whether you, Mr. Barnum, started that conundrum or not, but I strongly suspect that you did. At all events, I noticed that your whole policy was concentrated into one idea, to make an angel of Jenny and depreciate yourself in contrast. You may remember that in this city, St. Louis, I acted in one instance as your legal adviser, and as such, 
necessarily became acquainted with all the particulars of your contract with the so-called swedish nightingale as well as the various modifications claimed by that charitable lady and submitted to by you after her arrival in this country which modifications i suppose it need no longer be a secret secured to her besides the original stipulation of one thousand dollars for every concert attendants carriages assistant artists and a pompous and extravagant retinue fit only for a european princess one half of the profits of each performance you may also remember the legal advice i gave you on the occasion referred to and the salutary effect of your following it you must remember the extravagant joy you felt afterwards in philadelphia when the angel made up her mind to avail herself of one of the stipulations in her contract to break off at the end of a hundred nights and even bought out seven of that hundred supposing that she could go on without your aid as well as with it and you cannot but remember how like a rocket stick she dropped when your business connection with her ended and how she fizzed out the remainder of her concert nights in this part of the world and soon afterwards retired to her domestic blistitude in sweden you know mr barnum if you would only tell which of the two it was that was forgetting and which forgiving and you also know who actually gave the larger portion of those sums which you heralded to the world as the sole gifts of the divine jenny of all your speculations from the negro centenarina who didn't nurse general washington down to the bearded woman of genoa there was not one which required the exercise of so much humbuggery as the jenny lynn concerts and i verily believe there is no man living other than yourself who could or would have risked the enormous expenditure of money necessary to carry them through successfully traveling with sixty artists four thousand miles and giving ninety-three concerts at an actual cost of forty-five hundred dollars each is what no other man would have undertaken you accomplished this and pocketed by the operation but little less than two hundred thousand dollars mr barnum you are yourself alone i honor you o oh great impresario as the most successful manager in america or any other country democrat as you are you can give a practical lesson to the aristocrats of europe how to live at your beautiful and tasteful residence iranistan i don't like the name though you can and do entertain your friends with a warmth of hospitality only equaled by that of the great landed proprietors of the old country or of our own sunny south whilst riches are pouring into your coffers from your various ventures in all parts of the world you do not hoard your immense means but continually cast them forth upon the waters rewarding labor encouraging the arts and lending a helping hand to industry and all its branches not content with doing all this you deal telling blows whenever opportunity offers upon the monster intemperance your labors in this great cause alone should entitle you to the thanks of all good men women and children in the land mr barnum you deserve all your good fortune and i hope you may long live to enjoy your wealth and honor as a small installment towards the debt i as one of the community owe you and with the hope of affording you an hour's amusement 
if you can spare that amount of time from your numerous avocations to read it, I present you with this little volume containing a very brief account of some of my journey work in the South and West, and remain very respectfully, your friend and affectionate uncle, Saul Smith. Chuteau Avenue, St. Louis, November 1, 1854. Uncle Saul Smith must be held solely responsible for his extravagant estimate of P.T. Barnum and for his somewhat deprecatory view of the attributes of the divine Jenny. It is true that he derived many of his impressions of Miss Lynde from the annoying circumstances that compelled me to seek his professional advice and assistance in St. Louis when Jenny Lynde's secretary came to me with an assumed authorization from her to abruptly close our engagement. But when Sol Smith's dedication was first published, there were plenty of people and papers throughout the land that were eager to catch up and endorse this new view of Miss Lynde's character. The Athenians were sometimes sick, no doubt, of hearing Aristides always called the just. Yet, some of the sharp things which Saul Smith means to say about Miss Lynde apply rather to the selfish persons who, unfortunately, were more in her confidence than I ever aspired to be, and who assumed to advise her, and thus easily perverted her better judgment. With all her excellent and even extraordinarily good qualities, however, Jenny Lynn was human, though the reputation she bore in Europe for her many charitable acts led me to believe, till I knew her, that she was nearly perfect. I think now that her natural impulses were more simple, childlike, pure and generous than those of almost any other person I ever met. But she had been petted, almost worshipped, so long that it would have been strange indeed if her unbounded popularity had not in some degree affected her to her hurt, and it must not be thought extraordinary if she now and then exhibited some phase of human weakness. Like most persons of uncommon talent, she had a strong will which, at times, she found ungovernable. But if she was ever betrayed into a display of ill-temper, she was sure to apologize and express her regret afterwards. The Grand Smith, who was quite intimate with her, and who was my right-hand man during the entire Lind engagement, used sometimes to say to me, Well, Mr. Barnum, you have managed wonderfully in always keeping Jenny's angel side outside with the public. More than one Englishman, I may instance Mr. Dolby, Mr. Dickens' agent during his last visit to America, expressed surprise at the confirmed impression of perfection entertained by the general American public in regard to the Swedish nightingale. These things are written with none but the kindest feelings toward the sweet songstress, and only to modify the two current ideas of superhuman excellence which cannot be characteristic of any mortal being. As I have before intimated in giving details of my management of the enterprise, believing, as I did when I engaged her, in her angelic reputation, I am frank enough to confess that I considered her private character a valuable adjunct, even in a business point of view, to her renown as a singer. I admit that I took her charities into account as part of my stock in trade. Whenever she sang for a public or private charity, she gave her voice, which was worth a thousand dollars to her every evening. At such times, I always insisted upon paying for the hall, orchestra, printing, and other expenses, 
because I felt able and willing to contribute my full share towards the worthy objects which prompted these benefits. This narration would be incomplete if I did not add the following. We were in Havana when I showed to Miss Lynn a paper containing the conundrum on forgetting and forgiving, at which she laughed heartily, but immediately checked herself and said, Oh, Mr. Barnum, this is not fair. You know that you really give more than I do from the proceeds of every one of these charity concerts. And it is but just to her to say that she frequently remonstrated with me and declared that the actual expenses should be deducted and the thus lessened sum devoted to the charity for which the concert might be given. But I always laughingly told her that I must do my part, give my share, and that if it was purely a business operation, bread cast upon the waters, it would return, perhaps buttered, for the larger her reputation for liberality, the more liberal the public would surely be to us and to our enterprise. I have no wish to conceal these facts, and I certainly have no desire to receive a larger meed of praise than my qualified generosity merits. Justice to myself and to my management, as well as to Miss Lynn, seems to permit, if not to demand, this explanation. End of chapter 21. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona.